Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 9, where we were reading just a little bit ago. And well, there's a lot going on this time of year. This is also a confusing time of year for me. I don't know about for you. It's confusing because Krista's got my house all outfitted with fall colors and uh, fake leaves everywhere and pumpkins inside and outside. <clears throat> but you can also go into a store and see Christmas decorations put out, right? Right, Emily? Yeah, Mark and Maine, they got their Christmas going. I'm glad they do. My buddy Savannah works there, and we're kind of kindred spirits when it comes to Christmas. We usually defrost Michael Buble in September or October and get that going. But um, <clears throat> I love Christmas, so I don't mind any of that. One of my favorite parts of Christmas is always watching the Christmas Carol. Do you all watch that? And there's all these different renditions. I think, I think the best one, probably in a classic sense, is the one where it's Alistair Sim, he plays the old crusty crummage and Scrooge, but uh, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to say that my favorite one's probably the Muppet version, and <laughs> you'll like that one. Um, and you know why that's such a treasured movie or from Charles Dickens' story? It's because it's a tale of redemption that people can change. Um, it's just awesome to see when a villain becomes a hero. And that's what we read together earlier, what we'll study together now. And it's not a story. This is an actual account of that very thing happening. A violent persecutor of the church becomes a preacher of Jesus Christ. And multiple interactions with ghosts didn't and couldn't affect that kind of transformation we read about here. Only coming to know Jesus Christ as your Savior can. Amen? That's it. And um, so we'll study that here. This is what happened in Saul's life. Before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer once more. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, what an exciting passage. All of Acts has been a blessing so far. Um, but this one, this is a pivotal turning point right here. And it's just awesome to see what the gospel of Jesus Christ can do. And, and honestly, this is every one of our testimonies. Um, it might be a little more stark of a contrast in, in Saul's life, but we are all wicked we are all uh, on our way to a Christless eternity in hell except for Jesus Christ and except for his grace and, and our faith in your grace to us in Christ. And so, Lord, if there's one here who hasn't trusted you as Savior, I, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for us who have. Lord, um, you, you make it clear here um, that there's a purpose in our salvation. You have a plan for transformed lives, and there is such power in a life that's transformed by Jesus Christ. And I pray that that would be our testimony, and that's how we would live. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, so the first two verses just remind us of the havoc of Saul. Um, the majority of chapter 8 that we went through the last couple of weeks, yes, it's been about the continuing work of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ uh, through the deacon Philip. Uh, he went to Samaria. Revival happened there. God sent him out to meet that uh, Ethiopian eunuch. But we might not remember that chapter 8 actually began uh, by describing the persecution of the church uh, that came at the hand of Saul. Acts 8.1 informed us that Saul, as a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin, uh, their religious supreme court, that Saul was consenting to Stephen's death, gave the thumbs down for the Christian deacon Stephen to be martyred. Uh, Acts 8, the beginning of it also told us that at that time there was great persecution against the church in Jerusalem to the point that all of the Christians fled there, um, yes, for their safety, but actually the end result in God working in all of that was that the gospel began to spread into Judea and then Samaria and then the uttermost part of the world. The Acts 8.3 said this, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing, that's King James version for uh, arresting, both men and women committed them to prison. And now chapter 9 begins by telling us Saul has been continuing with all of this. He kept on. Uh, it says, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, he went unto the high priest. And it's in this that we see the motive or, or the attitude that was behind Saul doing all of this. Let's consider his attitude for a moment. Why, why did Saul go to the high priest here in verse 1? We're going to find out. In verse 2 was that it was to get letters from the highest officials endorsing or supporting the havoc that he was causing in the church and to their fulfilling the Great Commission. I mean, Saul was passionate, passionate about what he was doing. Earlier in chapter 5, we learned that Saul's own mentor in the Sanhedrin, a, a well-respected member named Gamaliel. He, he warned others, including Saul, not to be so antagonistic toward Christians, not to take any action against them. But Saul went against his mentor's advice. And he took it to a whole another level. And that's what verses 1 and 2 tell us. That they had run the Christians out of Jerusalem, but that wasn't good enough for Saul. He was going to chase them down. He was going to put a stop to this whole Jesus thing once and for all. And you know, Jesus prophesied that this would happen to his followers. In John 16, 1 and 2, Jesus said this, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming, Jesus said, when anyone who kills you will think he is doing a service to God. Jesus told his disciples then, and even us here this morning, this will be the attitude of some people. They will persecute you. They will even kill you. And in so doing, believe that they're honoring God. And that was a reality for these early church Christians. And it's been a reality for so many followers of Christ down through the ages. Let's look at Saul's actions in verse 2. Saul goes to and he gets from uh, the high priest these letters that endorsed, that encouraged his attitude and actions against the church. He, he's even going to go 100 miles away to the city of Damascus to arrest and imprison and bring to trial these individuals. And, and their only crime is they've simply acknowledged that Jesus Christ was God's promised Messiah, Savior. Their only crime is, hey, we're doing it again. All right, let's go back to this. I'm going to be tied to the pulpit, or else I'm going to have to holler loud when I move away. Um, 
their, their, only, their only crime was that they had received Christ as Savior. And um, that's kind of crazy. Verse 2 describes them, uh, the Christians, this way. They're, they're not going to be called Christians for quite a while yet. Uh, it describes them as uh, people of this way, if you'll see that phrase used in verse 2. And the location of Damascus and its distance from Jerusalem, it implies that there was a significant amount of Christians there. So the Great Commission is happening. The gospel has been spreading. A lot of people are getting saved now, even in Damascus. I mean, Saul wouldn't go up there just for one or two. What Jesus had told his followers to do, they have done. As a result of the first waves of persecution, the gospel had been taken there. It was spreading rapidly. But with single-minded, fervent focus, Saul wanted to do everything he could to bring that to a screeching halt forever. And now he's got the support of the entire Sanhedrin, especially the top guy in that official body, the high priest Caiaphas. Now, the main body of this passage, verses 3 to 14, it talks about the humbling of Saul. Off Saul goes on his way to Damascus, but beginning in verse 3, we're going to see quite possibly the most amazing and the most supernatural call to faith in Jesus Christ in all of the New Testament. That's because Saul is apprehended by Jesus. Let's read verses 3 to 5 again. It says, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So uh, in in those verses there, we find Saul on his way to Damascus to continue making havoc in the church. But then verse 3 said, suddenly this bright light shined round about him. And that light was from heaven. So sudden, so unexpected, so bright is this light from heaven that we find Saul knocked off his feet. He's on the ground, according to verse 4. And he audibly hears this voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who's speaking to Saul? Isn't that what he wants to know? Now, if you've got like a good old King James Schofield reference Bible in red letters, you know who's speaking to Saul, right? It's got red letters. It's Jesus Christ, and that's what we find out in just the next verse. Jesus says who it is. But that's what Saul wants to know. Saul asks, who art thou, Lord? And when, that's important. When he says, who art thou, Lord? That right there is an indication that Saul knows this is God. This is God who is speaking to him. He refers to the voice as coming from the Lord in the Greek, kurios, someone's master, an individual who has uh, absolute ownership rights over a person. And Saul knows that the light and the voice is from God. But then, then something completely life-changing happens in the rest of verse 5. Saul gets an answer to his question. And it's definitely not what he's expecting. The response from Saul's Lord, Saul's kurios, is this, I'm Jesus, <laughs> whom you're persecuting, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Now, that's just amazing, isn't it? Uh, Let's go back to verse 3 for a minute. This is Jesus. Suddenly there shined round about him a a light from heaven. Now, it's daytime. We learn that in Acts 22 and Acts 26 when Paul gives his testimony. He adds that piece of information there before uh, government leaders when he's testifying. But it's daytime. Have you ever seen light shine in the daytime? I mean, it is kind of different, like... uh, uh, I get out in the, in the morning, I got to go take care of the ducks. I got to put a little headlamp on. It's still dark out there, right? But I don't need the headlamp in the daytime because it's light. But have you ever seen light shine in the daytime? I have uh, on the beach. I hate the beach. 
Krista loves the beach. She likes to listen to the sound of the waves. It's soothing. I find it boring. I have to go look for critters in the water to keep my attention. And I don't like light. I'm a little photosensitive. In my, so I got to wear sunglasses. But you, you ever seen a light reflect off a wave? Boom. Yeah, that's shining the light. Or uh, I was coming back from Hendersonville from the Bible conference at Fruitland. And, and we left. It was still dark uh, when we left. And then light came. And about the time I got to Spartanburg, the sun was shining down on Joe Jackson's phone. He was writing shotgun with me, and boom, I had to grab my glasses. So this can't happen, and, and who is this light? Well, it's Jesus. And we, we sang about this just a minute ago, and oh, worship the king. Whether it's the old hymn or the Chris Tomlin version. Your, your bountiful care, what tongue can recite? You breathe in the air, you shine in the light. That's who Jesus is. And we find out it's Jesus. Saul's Lord, his curios, answers this question, I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. And that's important, too. Do you see how close the union is between Christ and the Christian? Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting Christians. But, but Jesus, our union with him by faith, when we're saved, our union with him is so close that, that Jesus sees an attack on a Christian as a direct attack on himself. In verses 3 to 6, Jesus apprehends Saul. And he does it how he does it for every single one of us. Every person who ever trusts in Christ as Savior and is saved, he humbles him. Blinded by this light from heaven, verse 6 says, uh, Saul is trembling. He's astonished at what he just heard. And then Saul says this, Lord, what will you have me to do? Now that's extremely important too. We need to recognize that first word there, Lord. That is Saul trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior. It's the same word he used when he was talking uh, to God at the, at the first question. So when he says Lord again, that's him trusting in Christ as Savior. He's saying, I now believe that you are the Son of God, Jesus. I believe you're the Messiah that God had promised. I believe that you're equal with God the Father. We should understand here in this passage, Saul asks all the right questions. All of them. Who are you? Who are you, Jesus? And then acknowledging Jesus as his Lord, his curios, his master, who has absolute right of ownership over his life. And then Saul asks in verse 6, what do you want me to do? Well, he had already done the first thing that God wants him and all of us to do. Stop resisting. <laughs> Stop kicking against the pricks. That's a short little agricultural parable there. Stop being like an animal that you have to goad and who's backing up against the goad. Stop doing that, Saul. Saul had been resisting the gospel message. In his attitude, in his actions, he'd been actively resisting God calling him to faith in Jesus by persecuting Jesus in his persecution of those who belong to Jesus. You know, as a member of the Sanhedrin, Saul had heard the gospel testimony that Stephen gave. He'd heard it. As a member of the Sanhedrin... Um, he had likely heard it from Peter and John, but he had resisted it, condemning Stephen to die. In fact, it, I, I think it's more than entirely possible. It, it's probable that since he was a member of the Sanhedrin, that he had heard the gospel message directly from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. How many times did Jesus teach in the temple and confront the Pharisees, the, the group Paul, Saul, who became Paul, was a part of? How many times did he confront them about their resistance? But here in Acts 9, God says, enough, <laughs> enough resisting. And he humbles Saul, blinded for a moment, knocked down off his feet. Listen, there cannot be salvation any other way for Saul or for you and I. God has to use his word to, to bring us to humility. 
to show us our great need for our Savior. He uses his word and his Holy Spirit to expose our rebellious sin, to show us that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross in our place so that the penalty for our sin, the guilt of our sin, could be forgiven when we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Do you realize that, that it's in the humiliation of Jesus Christ on the cross that you and I are humbled? He was humbled on that cross. And that's how you and I are, are humbled. It took that. It took that for God to save us from our sin. God crushing God. That's how great our need is. And do you realize that it's in the exaltation of, of the resurrected and ascended Christ that you and I have hope? That was God's stamp of approval, that, that the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross was uh, sufficient and accepted by him to take away the sin of whosoever will repent and believe. The next thing God wants Saul to do, not to be saved, but because he is saved now, is found at the end of verse 6. Jesus tells Saul, arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Well, there's a couple of things we need to grab a hold of here in this response from Jesus for, for not just Saul, but for all of us who've been saved. First of all, there is a do. There is a do to being a Christian. Now that we have trusted in Jesus as our Savior, there are things he has given us to do. God had this very man who would become the Apostle Paul. He would have him later write in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That is wonderful truth, amen? amen? For by grace we're saved through faith. Don't forget verse 10. Don't leave out verse 10. For we are his workmanship. <laughs> we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. And then secondly, Saul's not there just yet. I mean, yes, that's a to-do for every single person who trusts Jesus as their Savior, but right now and right here in verse 6, God simply gives Saul some very simple instructions. Get up. Go into the city. And wait. Wait. And there's a lesson there for every believer, too. You know, the vast majority of time, God's to-do instructions for us are in this manner, leading us moment by moment, day by day. We come into relationship with him through faith, and we continue in relationship with him by faith. Um, he instructs us in his word, yes, no doubt, what he wants us to do. But, but as God tells us in Psalm 119 through David, his word is a lamp, right, for our feet. It's a light for our path. It's always illuminating, but often only as much as we need to live faithfully for him, step by step. And verse 7 lets us know that, that Saul had an entourage who, that was with him. Uh, it says that they were speechless at all that was going on, but they didn't understand or hear to the degree Saul did. And, and verse 8 Saul obeys a specific to-do list given him by the Lord, who, who he's now recognized as his master and received as a savior. But Saul needs the help of these men because he's blind. He can't see. The shining light has left him temporarily blind. For three days, Saul waits, not eating, not drinking. Saul might not seem to be doing a whole lot of anything, but that doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't. Christ is at work for Saul's benefit. We have to remember he's in the waiting. God's in the waiting, Christian. If he tells you to wait, just wait. Trust him. 
He's assisted by Ananias. Verse 10 introduces us to a different Ananias than the one we met earlier. Uh, This one's a disciple of Jesus. He lived in Damascus, and God also speaks to him in a vision. And in this message uh, of Jesus uh, to Ananias, it says in verse 11, he tells Ananias, Arise, go go into the street, which is called Straight, inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hands on him, that he might receive his sight. Now, we're going to learn in the rest of this passage that Christ continues his work as he has throughout Acts here on earth by his Holy Spirit through his followers here, Ananias, and Saul, the great persecutor of the church, who has been humbled by his previous rejection of Christ and in humility has now received Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He requires assistance. He is given assistance. This is so amazing. By by one of those, he was coming to persecute. But one of those he's coming to persecute. And then verses 13 and 14, it gives us the answer of Ananias to Christ's command. Put yourself in his shoes as we read this. Do you think you might be hesitant to trust that this would all work out? Uh, okay. And in verse 13, Ananias answers, Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that, that call on your name. You know, Jesus understands this hesitance, this reticence to, to, to do what he's asked. And so he encourages Ananias in the next couple of verses, trust, trust in my always good for you plan, trust in my always for my glory plan. And it's there that we see the rest of this passage, a harnessing of Saul. And in verse 15, Jesus tells Ananias this, that at Saul, he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. And listen, that is God's plan of a transformed life. That is what God's word says. Once again, later in Galatians, which Saul, who would become Paul, would write. It says in Galatians chapter, really all of Galatians chapter 1 is about this, but let me just highlight verses 1 and 15. God has Paul open that letter this way. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And then verse 15 says, It pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, and he's called me by his grace. Do you understand the importance of that there? God had set Paul apart even before he was born to be a Christian, to be an apostle, to be a missionary, to be one who would carry the gospel, plant churches all over the then known world. And this was all true even while Saul was doing what verse 1 said, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the... Still true when Saul gave that thumbs down, convicted Stephen, condemned him. God had a plan for Saul's transformed life. And we're going to have 19 more chapters of what this life transformed by Jesus began to do in the rest of our study in Acts. And God has a plan for your transformed life too, Christian. We, you have been saved by grace. You have been saved by faith in God's grace to you, Jesus Christ. Why? So you can uh, just know that you know that you know that you have a home in heaven one day? That's awesome. It's wonderful. It's 100% true. Um, but no, you've been saved by God's grace to you and Jesus Christ, by your faith in his grace. Because as God's workmanship, you have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Ephesians 2.10, which God has before ordained, just like he before ordained it for 
Saul who become Paul, that you should walk in them. Let me tell you how God has Paul describe God's plan for your transformed life in 2 Corinthians 5.15. I love this verse. This is what he wants for Christians. It says that Jesus died for all, 2 Corinthians 5.15, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Because Saul obeyed God and because Ananias obeyed God, this would be their lifelong testimony. Let me read verses 16 to 19 now. Again, God says, I'm going to show Saul how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way. He entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, isn't this beautiful? Brother. <laughs> he says, brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, he sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose, and he was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. And then was Saul certain days with the disciples who were at Damascus. Verse 16, th this one, this one who had been a minister of suffering <laughs> to so many <laughs> who loved Jesus and trusted him, as their Savior, he's now called by God to have a ministry in suffering. Ministry in suffering. All to show the power that's in a life that's been transformed by Christ. Verses 17 and 18 lets us know that through the obedience of Ananias, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, he restored Paul's sight. He filled him with the Holy Spirit, and then Paul was baptized. And according to verse 19, Paul ate, he was strengthened, and he remained there with the other Christians in Damascus. But then verses 20 to 22 tell us of the power. There's power in a transformed life. You see that when we obey God's plan for our transformed lives as followers of Jesus Christ, when we do that, um, there's great power <laughs> in how we live, this transformed life that we live for gospel proclamation. Verse 20 says that straightway Saul preached Christ in the synagogue that he's the son of of God. You remember straightway? Man, we heard that a billion times when we were studying through Mark. Straightway here, straightway there. Straight immediately, right away. Saul did not waste any time testifying of who Jesus is and what he had done for him. What do you think people thought? This has been a change, right? I mean, instantaneous change. It says they were amazed, verse 21. Everyone was. From persecutor of Christians to a preacher of Jesus Christ. And verse 22 says that Saul increased the more in strength. He confounded, they didn't understand, the Jews dwelling at Damascus because he was proving that Jesus is very Christ, that he is the Messiah. Listen, when God reaches down to us, when Jesus Christ knocks us off our feet uh, to humble us, when the Holy Spirit of Christ calls us to repent and believe, there is power for gospel proclamation in a transformed life. I think it's more powerful today than it's ever been. I really do. That's the opportunity before us. We live in the most me-first, narcissistic, <laughs> selfie world. And so those, those who like 2 Corinthians 5.15 says no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again, it's because they've been powerfully transformed. <laughs> They're different. They're the called out ones. They've got a new master who's got absolute ownership over their lives. There's not a single thing that can do that but the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Nothing. Nothing but the gospel. Nothing but the Holy Spirit can do that. Uh, when we're humbled, when we're apprehended by Christ, that's exactly how Paul describes himself 
to his young pastoral protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That's first century lingo for, you better believe this, Timothy. And then he says this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm chief. Paul says, I'm the biggest. I'm the worst. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, so that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering, for, for a pattern to them who should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Do you understand what, what Paul's saying there, what God's saying through the Apostle Paul? I was the worst, and he got me. I, I, was, I was the worst. So, so for everyone that says, nah, he don't want me, I've sinned too much. I've done the same sin too much. Now, God has Paul tell Timothy and each one of us here this morning, there's no one, there's no one that's outside of God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. There's no one who's too far gone. There's no sin that the blood of Christ can't wash away. There's no life that can't be transformed when the Holy Spirit of God takes the word of God and says, whosoever will may come when that person comes. That's why God apprehended and humbled Saul. He wanted it to be an eternal testimony of God's plan and God's power in a life that's been transformed. And that's what God offers every one of us this morning in Jesus Christ. If you cannot look back on a moment in your life, what went in the deepest humility, just like Saul here, you said, Jesus, I need you. I trust in who you are and what you did for me on the cross to save me from my sins. If, not, if you can't remember that, do it right now. I mean, don't even wait. We're not, yeah, we're going to have an invitation, but do it right now. God says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, look, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. So once you confess your sins to God and trust in Jesus as your Savior this morning, God wants to transform your life. Christian, God's grace has done that for you. You've been born again. You're a new creation. He has a plan for your transformed life. There's power in it. By grace, you're saved through faith in Jesus Christ, but, but not just to be saved, not just to have a ticket into heaven. No, you are his workmanship. You are in Christ Jesus for good works. A life that testifies of God's transforming power. A walk that matches your talk, works that reinforce your words. And Jesus has a to-do list for us. Not to be saved because we are saved. And here's what's on that to-do list. And how you think, and what you say, and how you live, make much of Jesus Christ. Treasure Jesus Christ. Point others to Christ. Have your thoughts centered on him. Have your words proclaiming him. Make sure your actions are testifying of a life that's been transformed by him. Walk in newness of life, because you have new and eternal life in Jesus. If that to-do list has not been being accomplished in your life as it should, would you confess that this morning? Do business with God. Commit. Uh, say, Lord, I'm going to work on it as your workmanship. Don't leave here without telling the Lord this morning, you died for me, and I'm done living for myself. From, from here on out, I'm yours. I, I will live for him who died for me and was raised again. Do your powerful work in me. Fulfill your plan for my life, Jesus. Saul became Paul. Persecutor became preacher. And he can do the same for every one of us. Have Tommy come up and lead us in a time to respond to God's word. And however the Holy Spirit's used his word to call you to respond today, I just ask that you'd obey.